Hey everybody, welcome to season two of the Mixmasters podcast. I'm your host, Steve Litcher, and for those not familiar, I'm the touring front of house engineer for Stitched Up Heart. Working with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet an incredible number of really talented people, and I wanted to introduce you to them. I wanted to let you hear their stories and learn from their experiences. This is really your chance to listen in on behind the scenes talk and to learn from some of the best in the business. I have to give a huge shout out to my pal, Merritt Goodwin, for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's also an extremely talented composer. Give him a follow on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin or on Instagram at Merritt Goodwin Official. Now let's bring up the faders and jump into this episode of Mixmasters Podcast. My guest for this episode of Mixmasters is Kyle Gerhardt. And Kyle is from the Philadelphia area where he owns and operates a company called InPhase Productions. He's also worked with a number of household name bands that everyone has for sure heard of, including Alien Ant Farm, Puddle of Mud, Drowning Pool, Saliva, Trapped, Saving Able, Sebastian Bach, uh, Scott Stapp, and the list goes on and on and on. It was really fun to talk to Kyle for this podcast, and in full disclosure, I almost lost this podcast. It was almost the episode that never came to be. We recorded this back in February of this year, a day before I was going on tour with Gemini Syndrome. And while on tour with Gemini Syndrome, the laptop that I recorded this episode to died. And it was a laptop that did not have a removable hard drive. So I had a heck of a time retrieving the recording from that laptop. I got it retrieved. I put it on a different laptop. That laptop died about a month later. So as I told Kyle, I don't think the technology gods were shining on me over the past couple of months. But long story long, we've got the episode ready to go. It's a little shorter than I would have liked for it to be just because I was literally leaving on tour some eight hours after I talked to Kyle and I had a lot of things to do. But I promise I will get him back onto the podcast for a round two. So I've rambled enough. Let's jump in and listen to Kyle Gerhardt. I'm confident you're going to love this episode. There's a ton of great information. So take a listen, reach out to Kyle on social media, and I will talk to you all soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Mixmasters. I am joined today by Kyle Gerhardt. And Kyle is uh, actually talking to me via Zoom from MixLA, home of Chris Lord Algae's uh, studio. So Kyle, it's awesome to have you. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So I want to jump right into it. I, I've seen you online a bunch. Uh, you do a lot of work with SE Electrics, and I think that's where I first sort of got to know you a little bit better was on some of your um, demos and webinars that you've done. But for everybody listening at home that's not as familiar with you, would you mind giving us a little bit of background about yourself? Like, how did you get into music? How old were you? What drew you into it? And then how did you transition sort of into the role that you have today? Yeah, not a problem, man. So uh, my name is Kyle Gerhardt. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm 31 years old. Uh, I went to high school like a normal person, and then uh, I got involved uh, with an internship program. And through my internship, I did a little bit of work at a radio station, um, early on, it was like 11th grade where I was, uh, cutting interviews and stuff for the DJs and whatnot. I determined I'd never want to work in radio. Uh, and that was terrible. Uh, and they moved my internship from a radio station over to a music studio. 
and I caught the bug for doing the the music studio thing. That entire time, I was also playing in a band, um, like most people, and uh, you know, because I thought playing guitar would get me girls. Uh, it didn't, um, but you know, we, we progressed through life, and uh, the recording thing uh, really worked well for me. So I actually ended up going to Full Sail University graduated from Full Sail in 2010. Uh, but the entire time I was at school, uh, my degrees in recording engineering, I was working for a live sound company. So that's kind of where my, my break, you know, everything started with me with a background doing the recording, but also always doing the live stuff on the side. And it's funny, like today I'm, I'm sitting in, you know, one of the best studios in the world. And I'm just lucky enough to do the, you know, be able to be here and learn from someone like Chris uh, in person. But my resume for the past 10 years screams live sound. And I have a passion for both. So came out of college, worked for a whole bunch of bands. I worked for NASCAR. I did the Warp Tour thing. I, you know, I've gone through a variety of different genres. I've done country bands. I've done hip hop. I've done uh, metal, I've done hard rock, legacy acts, um, up to like, I've been doing front of house for this guy named Little Dirk, who's really big on the hip hop charts right now. So like number one, you know, arena band hip hop thing, but then also doing, you know, some of the legacy rock acts that I work with. So it's, it's been a wide variety of uh, music over the years. Um, but that's kind of the, uh, the short elevator speech of like, okay, from high school to where I'm at now is uh, just been 10 years of road dirt and uh, a lot of different opportunities, you know, in between. Yeah, you really escalated quickly into the industry, or at least it seems that way as an outsider, uh, you know, sort of watching your career path. How did you make those initial connections to get sort of into the live touring arena? So, you know, you, you mentioned you've worked with a ton of different bands and I know for sure, like Sebastian Bach and Scott Stapp and uh, Kurt uh, Dimer, I can't think of how you pronounce his name, but Falling in Reverse. Drowning Pool, uh, Alien Ant Farm. I mean, I did Vince Neil for a little bit. I mean, I've had quite a uh, a realm of uh, different bands over the years in all genres, which is, I, I like swinging the dial uh, with the different genres. So early on, probably 2000, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there, I was working a show with a local band in Philadelphia, and we were playing uh, the BB&T, which is the big pavilion there. Um, I think it was a different company that owned it at the time, but it's the big shed in Camden, basically. And uh, the band had won the Battle of Bands competition or whatever to get to open up for this radio festival. And uh, I was going just to go help the band out because I, I had assumed that the house engineers were going to take care of them because they had like a 25 minute set or something like that, a short, super short set. And uh, when we got there, the band introduced uh, me as their sound engineer. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm going to mix this giant shed for sold out. Um, and Paramore was the headliner that night. And it was on a D show. I hadn't touched the D show in a long time um, and uh, got up and ripped a, ripped a gig on a D show. And uh, this, this little guy walks over to me. And he's like, Hey dude, that your, your mix was ripping. And I could tell you were not prepared for that. I was like, Nope, didn't even know I was mixing today, but we just did it. And uh, that guy happened to be Eddie map. And um, so Eddie and I have been friends for a long time. And uh Eddie, uh, you know, quickly on was like, hey, man, uh, do you want to check my stuff out? And so Eddie and I nerded out over, uh, you know, his setup for Paramore. And then, um, you know, through the years, I kept in contact with him and he's introduced me to a bunch of different people. 
And, um, you know, one relationship leads to another relationship, you know, so on and so forth. And then, um, you know, I still actually, Eddie called me last week. I'm still lucky enough to talk to him on a regular basis. Uh, some point along the line, I got introduced to Pooch and, uh, Pooch and Tater have both been really, really, um, influential in my careers, uh, both as, uh, mentors and also audio and in life. Um, they've, they've done a, a great job of taking me under their wing and, uh, putting me in the right direction, uh, a lot of times. And over the years, I've been lucky enough to, uh, you know, make acquaintances with, you know, guys like them or like, you know, I've, I'm lucky enough if I have a problem and I'm on an avid, I just call Robert Scoville directly and it just, you know, skip the line. You know what I mean? Just, just call right to the head or, uh, like Jim Rose with Midas, uh, his, you know, Jim has been, you know, big in my career of being able to, you know, help guide me, uh, you know, use the right type of equipment and just learn uh, how to be a better engineer. And some of the companies that I work with, uh, SE being one of them, you know, picked up on that and they, uh, they thought I'd do well talking on camera. So it kind of <laughs> puts me to where I'm at with that. Yeah, I want to talk about SE in a little bit, but uh, Pooch has been a guest on the podcast also. He was one of our earliest guests to join and just a great guy, especially during the pandemic. You know, he's like at such a level in the live industry, and but he's so happy to share his information with everybody. It seems like he's got his master class and then him and Raybold have the show together, of course, that they share a lot of information there. Is there any sort of one tip or trick that you picked up from Pooch that really sticks out with you that you're, you know, wish you'd known earlier, or is it just sort of a symbiotic relationship between the two of you? Well, it's definitely not symbiotic by any chance. I don't think Pooch ever, I don't think he's learned anything from me. I think I've always, uh, I've learned from him more than uh, him learning from me, but I'll give you two from Pooch. There, there's one, uh, I remember a couple of years ago at NAM, I was sitting in on one of the seminars that he was doing. And uh, I have a great picture of him with uh, his um, PowerPoint presentation behind him with, it just says rule number one, don't be a dick. And, and it's just him standing like pointing to the sign. And it's kind of like uh, in the live, the live world, like, um, like a bunch of your guests are all my buddies, right? We're all, you know, Facebook friends, text, call, whatever. And, you know, if you're a dick, everybody will know that you're a dick. So don't be a dick and you'll get a lot further in your, your live career because friends bring their friends on tour, right? Like the, the whole concept of like when I need a monitor guy or I need a guy to come fill in on front of house on one of my gigs, um, I want to make sure that A, the person has the chops, you know, so that, that's important, but also that they fit the camp, Right. I work with some volatile clients. Um, so uh, personality is very, very important with those clients. So I'd say, you know, the rule number one of don't be a dick goes to, you know, top of the list. And the second one is just the importance of gain staging. And just across, it doesn't matter, like even before we started this podcast of making sure that, you know, the levels that you're getting and whatnot and how, you know, mic placement, gain structure, and high pass filtering are, you know, if you have those three skills mastered, you can go a long way in this profession. And uh, that that's something that I, I see guys all the time or other engineers that I'll be on tour with, you know, younger guys coming up or, you know, other guys at festivals and things. And I'll just like, man, you're just like destroying your console, man. Like let's, uh, let's, let's help you out. So I, you know, and also always being able to share your experiences and your knowledge. Like I was 
Pooch is a great example of someone I was extremely impressed with in, you know, the pandemic because he started that, that whole thing with him and Raybold. And at first when he, when they put up the first episode, I was a little hurt. I was like, damn it. I worked so hard to get this relationship to, to siphon this information out of you. And now you're giving it out to the world for free. And, um, you know, and the thing is, it just makes everybody better. Right. So it's a lot more accessible now. And that's something that I'm, I'm really excited that this summer when we get to, you know, the big festivals where you get a bunch of bands and all your buddies there, I'm excited to hear everybody mix and see how their mixes have improved from guys paying attention to all the different podcasts and all the different YouTube channels that are out there of these, you know, really high level engineers, you know, telling it to us straight. And for me, it was kind of, it was cool to be able to kind of go back to school a little bit. And, you know, I spent the pandemic rebuilding my mixes, rebuilding some structure, some things, and then a being stuff. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to be mixing shows throughout the entire thing. I, I was lucky enough um, that I had a couple artists that had me on retainer. So I did a bunch of work during the pandemic. So I didn't really get to stop as much as everybody else did, but it's um, it's been nice to sharpen the tools. You've got my brain just working right now. I'm trying to figure out which subject I want to address first because you touched on a number of really great things there. So Pooch and Raybold have said, and and I've said this a number of times, not that I'm anybody, but if people weren't busy learning and working with multi-tracks, any multi-track, doesn't matter if it was an artist that you work with or something you found online, if they weren't trying to improve their skills during the pandemic, then they're going to come out of this pandemic, you know, miles behind everybody else that was doing anything, even in a DAW or, you know, on a console or whatever. I also liken your analogy to uh, Pooch and Raybold sharing that insider information. I don't know of any other industry in the world where people that are essentially competitors, competitors with one another, because there are only so many mixing jobs out there in the world. And for everybody to be sharing information and trying to help make everybody better is sort of unheard of. And do you have any idea why that might be, or do you have any personal thoughts behind that? Well, I think that uh, that's kind of a two-part answer because, you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly that, you know, everybody coming out of the pandemic should have sharpened the tools or at least tried to, you know, keep doing and working on something. So um, in terms of having competition, I think that, uh, you know, the way that I think about it is that if I have somebody come sub a gig for me, I'm not thinking about competition. I'm thinking about what's best for my artist, right? Um, I want, because, you know, our job as mix engineers is to take what the artist is doing on stage and translate it to every seat in the house, right? I know some guys who are incredible, incredible mix engineers, but they suck at system tuning, right? That's just not their forte. And if you're on a gig where you're on a theater level or something like that, where you don't have an SE with you and you don't understand how to address uh, a large format, you know, line array or, you know, a, you know, a club that's got EAW 850s and you don't know how to work with that type of PA system to get the PA system where it needs to be so that your great mix can sound great you might not be the right guy for that job. So it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that you have to make. I don't think it's competition amongst each other. I think it's just knowing who is kind of on your level or who's able to do the, the different types of gigs. Like for me, 
a lot of my clients, I do tour manager and front of house. So I'm not just doing mixing. I love when I get to just mix. I, 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 I cherish those gigs. But right now, I mean, everybody, even coming out of the pandemic, all of the management companies are trying to save money. So everybody's doubling up. And it's like, you know, I, I know I'm a, I'm a good sound engineer and I have to work at being a really good tour manager. You know what I mean? Like that's the harder part of my job. The mixing side's the fun part. That's the, the best 90 minutes of my day are mixing the band. Uh, it's the other 12 hours of being a tour manager that is hard, but that's the reward, right? So, you know, guys that are on the pooch and the rabel level where their job is just to make sure that you have excellence in audio and nothing, you know, that, that's it. It's excellence or nothing. And you only get one shot. So, you know, I, I, do, I think that because those jobs are competitive and because the, the, the people that are at that level are, it's a thinner herd, right? And everybody's reaching to get there. Like I want, you know, my shot at one day when Pooch says, Hey man, I, you know, I got to take a week off to go do something. Do you want to come fill in for me on Maiden? It's like, hell yeah. I want to go mix Iron Maiden. Like who doesn't want to go mix Iron Maiden? He's got the best fucking job there is. But, um, you know, that I'm not there yet. I know I'm not there yet. I'm trying to get there. And I think everybody else is trying to get there too. And, um, you know, part of it is networking for sure. But I think that, you know, making sure that you've got the skill set both in your mixing chops, but also in your personality and your people chops. And, um, you know, a lot of engineers, um, you know, struggle on that personality thing. Um, so I think that, uh, that's something that psychology, you know, Pooch and Tater both, you know, talk about it all the time that a lot of their gig is, is psychology, um, and being able to deal with people. So, you know, if you're not learning on, uh, you know, the mixing side, you should probably check out the psychology side. And with that, I, I think that's why guys on their level don't mind sharing their skill sets, right? Because, you know, you know, as well as I do, if I hand you my show file, right. And, you know, we're in a world where everything loads up perfect. Yeah. You know, cause we know that all happens, but you're in a perfect world. You've got my show file, you standing behind the console and me standing behind the console are not going to have the exact same results. They'll be similar, but there's so much personality, I think, in what we do, even with having all the presets in the world, you know, that hands-on faders uh, and those those minuscule changes and the emotion that's put into mixing in the live world, it's hard to replace the human. Like we're not, a, we're not at a point where they've, they can't replace us with a computer yet. It might come one day, but right now they can't do it. Like, so I think that's why they, they don't mind giving away all their things because they want better for their clients and they want better for everybody that's underneath of them. Because I don't know about you, but being on tour and having your two opening bands ripping at 107, that sounds terrible. Like it's, it's not great, man. Like I'm, I'm pretty hard on my opening engineers of making sure that they keep their, their levels in check, not to be a dick, but just to make sure that the fans and the audience are having a good show. And by the time my band gets on to play for 90 minutes, that their ears aren't bleeding from just bad mixing. Like I, I want everybody on my tour to sound good. I want the guy, the very first opening act 
to us playing. I want everybody sounding good. So I think that's why on their level, it's the same thing, you know, that, that they don't mind sharing that information to, to make everybody better. It's like, you know, on the studio side of things, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I'm sitting 50 feet from Chris Lord Alge, who's in there working with one of my artists and, you know, he does his master classes and is he, it, I'll tell you, I sit behind him and I watch him work and a lot of the presets and things that are in those waves plugins, he uses them. Like it's not bullshit. Like it's not a sales pitch. Like they're set that way. Cause that's what he uses. And just because that's his preset doesn't mean that you using that preset makes you sound like Chris, right? It's the same concept with any of those guys teaching their, you know, their philosophies on things you can, you know, they can hand you their show file, but you're not going to be them until, you know, you have your own style and, and you have your, your thing. So I think that's why that they don't have an issue giving away their, uh, their thoughts, their feelings, their presets, their whatever. They're just starting points. Yeah, that's so well said. I sat in on a seminar earlier in the pandemic and it was about um, artificial intelligence and automation and things like that. And the expert that was speaking to the group got asked a question like, if you had a child that you were raising today and you wanted to give them a job that would sort of be future-proof, what would you get them into? And everybody, I think, in the audience was expecting him to say, you know, computer programming or something that would sort of support the furthering of artificial intelligence. And he stopped and he thought for a few minutes and he said, I'd get him into the arts because as good as artificial intelligence can ever get, nothing will replace replace human creativity. And I think, you know, if I would have been in a live audience surrounded by people, I, I would have been looking at Jaws on the floor because <laughs> nobody would have thought that. So your point about the artistry of mixing and taking a plug-in or taking a show file and putting your own flavor on it is is unbelievable. I think that that's really well stated. I do want to jump back for a second because you talked a little bit about system tuning, and that's one area where I'd love to get better. So selfishly, any any tips and tricks for system tuning? Like how do you go about tuning a, a club that's, say, a 1,000 cap room or something like that? Where do you jump off? What sort of tools do you like to use? What sort of things are you looking for? And And just sort of paint with a broad brush, if you don't mind. Yeah. And that's, I actually have a pretty, uh, almost like a step-by-step of how I do it. Um, so as soon as I get to the point where my desk is flipped and I know that all of my internal stuff is working, the first thing that I do is I, uh, well, let's start with how I mix. I go left, right. And my left, right feeds my matrix buses, my matrix buses then go out to the PA. So I typically on a smaller thousand cap tour, I'm just going to carry a, a Lake LM44 is what I have in my rack. And it's just left, right, subfill. And the first thing that I do is I just pink the room. I go, okay, I'm listening to my left. I'm listening to my right. And just with my ears, I don't have smart turned on. I don't have anything turned on yet. Is the level the same? And does it sound the same? And I'll walk the room with just, you know, pink noise going lightly and just walk and let my ears be like, okay, at this point in the room, it sounds this way here, or this way there. And um, really quickly determine, okay, is this a issue with the PA system? Is this an issue with the room? And is it fixable, right? Because a lot of times, um, I'll, I actually, I did it the other day. I was mixing a show. Uh, I work for the band Fuel. And we were playing a casino up in upstate New York. Beautiful. Um, it was the Vertec A12 you know, top of the line JBL new Vertec rig. Right. And 
I brought my left up and I brought my right up. I'm like, uh, right side of PA is 3 dB, at least 3 dB quieter than the left side. Like I can hear the difference, like what's going on. And they had an issue in their system processor where like the levels weren't the same. And the guy, the house guy would have never known because he's like, well, every time I put pink noise up, I put left and right up equal and I listen to the rig left, right. And, you know, you might be able to hear that, like, but with pink noise, it can be kind of broad. But if you go through and you just, okay, what's my left sound like? What's my right sound like? Are my subs working properly? And I walk up, okay. And I'll feel this, are, is every sub in the line firing? I had a, another situation where we had, you know, it was ground stack subs and they had four on each side in a left right configuration. And the one side had a sub out and I felt the sub energy pooling because, you know, obviously, you know, left, right subs suck, but it, you know, you're used to your power alleys, but when the power alley is in a weird direction, why is it pulling to one side? And it was literally because there was one box that wasn't firing in that stack. So you can, you can get through a lot of your system tuning by just basics using your ears. After that, I, I've spent a lot of time both in school prior and then throughout the, the years, system tuning is something I actually really enjoy. Um, like if, if I was going to go on tour and someone offered me a job as a system engineer, I'd love to go out as a system engineer. I like flying PA. I like doing that, the math and the science behind it. That, that to me is enjoyable. I've spent a lot of time learning how to use smart and a lot of people have smart, but not everybody runs it properly. I'm lucky enough. Chris Tangers is a, uh, is a good friend of mine, uh, Jamie Anderson as well, who, uh, you know, Jamie is the president of smart and Chris does a lot of the training and a lot of the stuff. And, you know, they're my buddies both in the professional world and in the personal world. And, you know, going through their classes and learning how to use the product correctly is a huge thing. Uh, A lot of people do transfer functions wrong. And, you know, even if they do the transfer function right, they forget, you know, looking at, you know, just hit the C button, see what the correlation is, see, you know, how good of a measurement are you actually getting? Are you chasing comb filters in a room? I've seen engineers that run smart and they'll sit and they'll just try to EQ the crap out of a room because they've got a comb filter because they haven't taken the time to move the mic or in the, the way that I use things, I run multiple microphones because I'm looking at an, an overall average of the area of where everything is. So anyway, uh, once I get smart up and running, one of the first things that I'll do is when I'm tuning the PA system, pick the left side, right side, whatever, and make sure uh, as I do my transfer functions, check to see the time alignment between my front fills and my mains and my front, my overall system to my subs and make sure that everything is coherent uh, with my main to sub relationship. Because you got to remember the house system, you know, is, you know, if you have the, the guy that's got, you know, it's his, his baby, it's his, his house rig and everything's in tune and everything's in phase. That's totally great. But you're on your own desk. And what if I have a plugin on my, you know, subs that I don't have on my mains? Well, all of a sudden my subs and mains are out of time, right? Now, I, I don't do that, but just as a thing, like you can have issues in your own setup and you got to make sure that when you're tuning a system, like in my case where I'm carrying an LM44, I have the ability to stay in my own time. I'm not going into that guy's processor. I'm doing everything on my end. 
that way it doesn't mess up the other engineers, right? Because like it could be slightly different for each guy's setup depending on how they mix, right? Back in the day when I used to run a profile, like I'd be running our base on my subs, like, and uh, you know, that's cool and it does a thing, you know, but that was on my matrix output. So therefore that would throw my left and right out of time with my matrix, depending on what plugins I had on my left, right to my whatever. And um, you know, no one talks about latency better than than Robert Scoville. He he is he, you know, check out his videos if you really want to nerd out on uh, on latency. But my point being making sure that you measure for your rig, right? And that uh, the transfer functions and stuff are based upon what you are putting out of your console. And that's something that, you know, there's multiple ways to employ that, but I, I highly recommend making sure that when you're doing the measurements, you're doing everything, it is through your system and through your, your ecosystem, right? So yeah, I, I go, I make sure that, you know, everything's in time and that, uh, left and right sound the same. Like that's a big thing that in the the club, the theater market, even if, I mean, I've done sheds where, you know, how, you know, these, you know, you play a, a smaller shed out somewhere in the Midwest and they've got a Vertec rig that's been beat to hell. And, you know, you've got drivers halfway up your array that are out or that just aren't, they're just tired or whatever. And I'll address trying to get, um, I, I'll do mics on axis. Uh, at certain distances um, for my left and my right, it, take the measurements, make sure that my left and my right are the same, and then go over kind of with a global EQ to tone the PA system to the curve that I like, right? And this also all depends on the amount of time you have. You know, when you're the headliner and you're loading in early in the day and you have time to do all that, I like to do it when we're at lunch, when everybody else is at lunch, right? Because nobody wants to listen to that much pink noise. Like, and I'll, I'll either use the, the house engineer or, you know, my monitor guy or, you know, my system tech, whoever I have to, to help me do that. And then once I have the left and the right sounding the same and I've addressed the fact of, okay, are there issues in the room that I can fix or are they things I have to work around? And knowing that going into your mix before sound check of like, okay, what's the room doing? Can I fix it? Will bodies in the room fix it? A lot of that um, is uh, interpretation, I think, more so than you can't really teach that. You either kind of, you, you learn it or, you know, I'll lean on the house guy, be like, hey man, you mix this room 200 nights a year. I'm mixing it today. What's the room do? You know, and you can pretty much tell like some guys, some of the house guys are great. They're a great resource because they know exactly what's going to happen and they'll be, you know, on top of it, dead to nuts. Other house guys don't have a clue, but you will learn that and how to tell which house guys know that or don't know that pretty quickly. So with the system tuning thing, um, I think consistency is accuracy. So for me, I've, I'm privileged enough that a lot of my bands, we do rehearsals. I can sit with virtual sound check on either, uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll start with my in-ear monitors. I use JH Roxanne's. I pretty much only use JH products. They are the best, best in-ear monitors you can get and their customer service is second to none. 
but uh, I'll start with using like my Roxy's cause I know what they sound like. And because they're in my head, um, there really isn't a lot of room information that can happen there. Right. I know what the curve is. I've gotten used to them as my reference. Right. Then I'll open it up to, okay, cool. I've got my mix dialed in on my Roxy's. Now I'll move to some, you know, near field speakers. I'm lucky enough to have general like master series. I have the, uh, eighth, uh, I forget what they are. They're, 8,000 series, like 835, something like that. Genelec Master Series, you know, uh, monitors, which are beautiful and they sound amazing. And like, they're very, very flat. And, you know, I can adjust my, uh, what I do is I actually use smart again and I adjust my mon- my near field monitors in whatever room I am to be as close to as the PA curve that I typically go for. And I make sure that my mix is translating off of my left, right. I want that left, right recording that goes to my record bus to sound great. And, you know, I work on that. And then when we get into the rooms and stuff, I know that my mix, I know what's coming out of my console is good. And then I will spend more time addressing, trying to get the PA worked out and get the room worked out. I'll spend more time attacking that then going through my mix and doing crazy EQ changes to my guitars or my vocals or whatever, because I want to paint on a nice flat picture, right? I want, I don't want any giant holes. And when you have a PA system that's got uh, component issues, placement issues, phasing issues, you start creating holes in your canvas, right? So like my, I, I try to patch those holes up as best as possible. And some days you can't. Some days you can't, some days you have to make a compromise and that's unfortunate for the artist. Right. And that's when I'll push back on the venue or the promoter or whatever. Can we, can we get more subs? Can I get more front fills? Can we move this? Can we do, you know, and sometimes there's limitations and you just can't. And then at that point, all right, I'm going to cannibalize my mix to make the best mix possible come out. And then I'm not going to reload that file. I'm just going to you know go back to my, non uh my you know non-bastardized file and i think that that's one of those things you learn over the years you know that you you can't you can't learn everything in a day i'm constantly learning i constantly reach out to people i'm constantly on the search to make it better and i think that if if guys uh with system engineering if they take the time go take a smart class man don't just buy the product like it, you can learn a lot online. There's a guy, Nathan Lively, uh, is, uh, I've bumped into him out in the real world once or twice. Super cool guy. He does some pretty good uh, YouTube videos, teaching people how to do things, different ideas. Read Bob McCarthy's book. Bob McCarthy's book on system optimization. A little dry. Uh, takes a little bit. I had to read it like two or three times to, to get all the way through it. I made a habit of just making sure I had it on my iPad. And when I'm on a plane, like if I'm gonna fall asleep, I'm gonna start reading this book before I fall asleep. But I've I've read it enough to get through it uh, a bunch of times, and there's there is some gems of information there uh, that people you know can learn from. So I would say if you have the chance, go take a smart class, uh, read Bob McCarthy's book, and uh, you know talk to some of the older guys. Man, they've got some cool tips, tricks, quick ways you can get around things, and you know learn to use your references, you know, reference what sounds good and have it be repeatable. I think, like I said, uh, you know, repeatability is, you know, having that accuracy of like, 
knowing what curve you like for your mixes and what translates well for you and getting the systems to be able to do that. I think we could turn this into a master class, actually, rather than a podcast, because the uh, the information that you're sharing is really phenomenal. But we've got about ten minutes left here, um, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about your the consoles that you're working with these days. I know when I saw you earlier in the pandemic, you were on a Midas Pro. Are you still carrying Midas, or do you have your eye on anything uh, different for tours coming up later this year? So uh, a couple, so that's that's two things. So I own a company. I own an audio company called InPhase Productions. At my company, I own a bunch of the Midas stuff. Um, so I've got Midas Pro Series in-house. So I tend to take that out on a lot of tours because I'm able to. Currently, I've not been super thrilled with the uh, support that uh, they've got uh, going on as a company. But you know what? The products that I have are really, really solid. My desks have been... You know, knock on wood, I've been really, really lucky that, you know, with the stuff that I own and with guys like Jim Rose, they've been able to keep me up and running without having, you know, any any major meltdowns. Now, in terms of new technology, uh, the desk that I want does not exist. I'm a huge fan of the Digico SD12 platform. Um, I've been using the SD12 quite a bit on a lot of recent shows. I think that's uh, for a lot of flight eights, I've been specking an SD12 with all the stuff I do with little Derek, we're all Digico on that platform. Fuel, I've got switched over to Digico, you know, but I, I have multiple show files for multiple bands. I'm also lucky enough to be 45 minutes down the road from Claire. So if uh, I need to go prep a show file for something or I need to like get my hands on a desk, I can, you know, I've got enough contacts in the, the greater Philadelphia area. There, there isn't a console I can't get. And so part of my job is like, if I'm going out on something where it's a desk, I'm not, fam- not, I'm familiar on all of them. So I'm, I'm pretty fluent, luckily. Um, you know, I would say if I had a weak point, the Soundcraft stuff and the Allen and Heath stuff, I'm not super savvy on. Uh, I don't use a lot of it, but anything Avid, anything Yamaha, anything Digico, anything Midas, I can jump on without thinking about it. And I have access to all of those locally. So, but anyway, back to the console that doesn't exist that I want is uh, I really like the 338. I think that if I was going to, you know, I'm, I'm actually actively looking at and purchasing some new consoles coming shortly. I really like the 338, but it's too big for a lot of my clients form factor wise. I'm a little dude. Like, I don't know. I mean, for the people that have ever met me, I'm like five, eight, man, I'm a little guy. I can't touch both sides of a 338 with my hands. Like literally I can't go fader to fader or I damn near can't go fader to fader. So for me, the huge format desks have never been something I liked. Even with the Midas stuff, I, I like the Pro 2C. I like the compact version. I don't, I'm, I'm a big uh, proponent of less faders. Some guys like more faders. And there are instances like if I'm doing monitors, I love an SD10. SD10 is great for monitors. I can lay everything out and I've got tons of faders and that's cool for that. But for front of house, I like being compact. I like being small. I like everything being able to be within reach. So what I would really want is a Digico SD12 Quantum. It doesn't exist. I, I've talked, I, I mean, I, I literally, uh, I was on, I had a Zoom session with James Gordon. James is the, uh, the president of group one. And uh, I asked James directly, I was like, so man, like, I know that you're getting me pricing on these Digicos and yada, 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 but what's the chances of this desk coming out? And uh, I couldn't get him to confirm nor deny that that would be a thing. But uh, the general gist that I got from the Digico boys is that uh, we're not getting an SD12 Quantum anytime soon. So I would, I'd look to see if they, uh, 
if they go with a compact version of a 338. Uh, but that would be ideally what I'd want is like either a 338 chop one bank off or an SD12 that could go up to quantum. Um, just because I like that, I like that form factor and anymore, I, I find myself reaching more for the Digico stuff. I like the Avid platform. I think the S6L sounds really good. Um, it's got some flexibility to it that I like. It's easy to get. I, although the little tiny knobs drive me nuts. Uh, the little knobs and screens drive me insane. So um, the older I get and the blinder I get, the more I kind of like the big ass uh, touch screens. You know, but you know what? The new Midas desk is super cool too. So like if uh, if Midas could uh, turn around their 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 support and their brand and like have some people there behind it that if it if it breaks down on me that I got a phone call, I can, you know, get a hold of somebody. You know, for me as a company, that would be the smartest thing for me to do because it's plug and play. I, I would be able to buy the surface and it plugs into my IO and I could go, you know, but I, I'm not fully committed to that yet. I've, uh, I've thought about it quite a bit. I've had plenty of time. I've had one at my shop. I've been out to Vegas at the, the headquarters and played with one there. I've been up to Jim Rose's house and chilled and, and played with his. And he had, a, he was the first guy in the U S to have one. I, I got to play with one. Uh, I don't know, probably two months after the first one ever entered the country. So I, I was a pretty early, I was, I was able early on to play with them, get my hands on them, run virtual sound check and all that. They sound great. They work great. I don't fully trust the brand at the moment. So as a company owner, I have to do what's best for my company. And I get a lot of calls for SD 12s. So I, uh, you know, if I, if I found the, the right, uh, you know, right setup for the right price, you know, if that console is going to be around for a while, I could see myself buying a couple of those. I really like the 32 bit cards. They sound really good on the, the Digico stuff. So I don't know. Uh, right now I, you know, my inventory is, uh, out making me money. So I have no reason to change anything at the moment. I've got clients that still accept it and I'm very proficient on it. And all of my Midas stuff, like I I've got it all souped up. I mean, I've got a full wave suite and, and all that, that I've got incorporated into my rig. So really it's a, it's a Midas front end with, uh, with a lot of extra doodads uh, attached to it. And, you know, I, I run some outboard stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of my, my Neve master bus compressor um, that, that goes on my left, right, pretty much on any desk. So it doesn't matter what desk I'm at. I've got certain things that travel with me. Like the LM 44s go with me pretty much everywhere. My waves extreme server and access one with touchscreen goes with me pretty much everywhere. So it's like, I take the Neve, I take the Lake, I take the waves and I take my smart rig and I have it set up that I can drop into just about any platform. So I build a lot of my stuff on my group mixing and whatnot. I'm not as much like a, a ton of plugins on the channels kind of guy. I kind of bring everything into groups and then I process the groups. So I'll mix the channels on whatever console it is, whether I'm Digico, Avid, Midas, Yamaha, whatever bring everything to the group level. And then I kind of have like my presets for my groups, right? Like I have like a chain for my drum bus or my Tom bus or my guitar bus vocals, yada, yada, yada down the line. And any desk that I'm on, I can run through that busing system into what, you know, I basically use waves like an outboard rack and it gives me a lot of consistency from console to console, show to show artist to artist. That's smart. And it's, it's good to know that I'm on the right path. I'm setting up a new show file. I'm about to leave on tour tomorrow morning and working with a band I haven't worked before, got their multi-tracks and I'm the same way. I don't, I do minimal channel stuff and then send it all to groups and 
try to work all my magic in the groups. And uh, so I'm not off my rocker. I'm glad that you confirmed that that is uh, an acceptable way to do things. Got just a couple of minutes left here. I'm going to have to have you on for a second show because I have a million other questions. And in talking to you, it's just been, like I said, a master class. But what have you got coming up in 2022? Anything you're really excited about? And how do you think COVID might play into uh, 2022 plans? Oh, man, that's a that's a, such a loaded question. Um, so like 2022, I've had... <laughs> I've had a ton of different offers come through, uh, and I haven't, uh, I haven't really announced who I'm going out with yet. Uh, I've got a couple, uh, paperwork things that I'm working out and some scheduling conflicts and all that. Uh, I do know that I've had a bunch of tours cancel. So like, uh, with Scott, for example, we had uh, a whole European thing that is now been, uh, rescheduled. I think this is now the third time third. Or, I think it's at least the third time that we've rescheduled our European dates and I've had some other stuff cancel. I've had a bunch of other offers come in. The biggest thing where COVID's affecting us is right now, I do have uh, a tour. One of the artists I work with, Kurt Dimer, uh, working with him and, and Phil X uh, on this thing. We're struggling to get tour buses right now, man. It's the first time in my life I've ever had, you know, I've had a bunch of bus companies hit me back with prices that I didn't like, but I've never had all of my tour bus companies come back to me and be like, yeah, we straight up don't have buses. So I think the, the biggest impact we're going to see with COVID is in the transportation industry. Uh, I know that with uh, a lot of my artists, Fuel, we're doing a lot of fly dates. I have to build in bigger windows and contingencies, almost like we're going overseas just to fly in country, just because of the airlines canceling stuff. Like, you know, you can have everything booked and everything all set up. And if the airline just, you know, I got burned, you know, I'm a Delta guy. I love Delta. And if I could get every artist to be okay with flying Delta and paying the extra price to have a, a better airline, I'd do it. But I've got a bunch of artists that fly other airlines and American Airlines burned us really, really bad. So like, it's, uh, it's not impossible for that to happen. So I think that uh, the biggest, the biggest thing is COVID is going to affect the transportation industry the hardest. And I think that's going to be what we see lingering, you know, because state to state and country to country there, everyone's going to have their different um, mandates with, you know, masks, vaccines, yada, yada, yada. That's all, that's all up for politics and, and that can change quickly. And we've seen that change over the years that things come, things go. But I think the lingering uh, thing that's going to affect us is transportation. I totally agree. And I think uh, as a closing note, I think what's happened is a lot of the companies, bus companies, airlines, trucking companies, they've all downsized during the pandemic, sold off inventory. Or people have just left. That's the other thing. It's just like this, just staffing. You know, we even see it in the restaurant industry going out to different places. I, I think overall that uh, there's a, the workforce has been affected uh, greatly and it's just a trickle down effect. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, unfortunately, I've got to wrap us up a little bit early. In full disclosure, I would talk to Kyle for another two hours if he would let me, but I, uh, I unfortunately have to run. So I'm going to have you back, Kyle, I promise, when I get back from this tour. Yeah, man, we can do it as a two-part. Yeah, that'll be awesome because I think we've just scratched the surface on things that I want to talk to you about. So thank you so much for your time. I hope that I get to see you out and about on the road. I hope we run into each other at a festival over the summer because I'd love to see you mix in person. And then I'd love to take some tips and tricks from you. But until then, I hope you stay safe and uh, enjoy your time out in L.A. And like I said, I hope to see you soon. 
Yeah, man. Anytime. And if anybody ever has any questions or anything, hit me up. I'm uh, very, very accessible. Cool. Yeah. We'll put your stuff on uh, the link to the show and uh, social media contacts and all that good stuff. So thank you so much. And I will talk to you very soon. Cool. Thank you so much, Manny. Have a great day. And that's a wrap on this episode of Mixmasters. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe and then tell a friend or maybe leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'd certainly appreciate it. I produce Mixmasters on the Allen & Heath DLive system with Sure microphones and a little help from Apple's Logic Pro X and some Waves SoundGrid plugins. One more round of thanks to Merritt Goodwin for the music. And until next time, stay safe and healthy, and thanks again for listening.